Mahmoud Abbas has apologized for blaming the Holocaust on Jews. Very sincere apology there by Abbas. Starbucks has issued a statement. That's coming up. Lisa Page has resigned from the FBI. What took so long? This happened late at night on the weekend so that mainstream media wouldn't have to report it. They'll bury the fact that she advised James Comey about the Hillary investigation while she was busy sending these anti-Trump, pro-Hillary text messages. Extremely biased and hateful, vicious texts against President Trump. And meanwhile, she uh, was advising on the Hillary investigation and she was part of the Mueller probe for a period of time. Unbelievable. All right. Mahmoud Abbas, the New York Times pressured him. There was outrage and he was asked to apologize. Now, folks, Mahmoud Abbas is a war criminal. He has killed thousands of Jews. He is a murderer. He is a lifelong terrorist. And yet nobody's asked him to apologize. In fact, the New York Times says, hey, you're a terrorist, write an op-ed piece, we'll call you a freedom fighter. And yet now he makes these comments and suddenly the Times is outraged. Now, what's shot here? What's going on? This is very important because this shows you the hypocrisy of the New York Times. Hate speech to them is more offensive than murdering thousands of innocent people because it's not really about human life. They care about political correctness. They care about controlling our lives, controlling the culture, controlling our speech. I'm, folks, you know, I never try to convince you of anything. I want you to think for yourself. I'm just throwing it out there. That's what I do. But I've been studying this stuff for a very long time. You know, you're skeptical. Well, come on. Is it really that sinister? Yes, it really is. You know, you kill Jews here right in our bed column. But if you engage in hate speech, you have committed a cardinal sin. That's what this is all about. And that's the same reason, by the way, that they that they ignore the fact that President Trump is basically bringing about world peace here. But they go nuts when he sends a tweet out that insults James Comey. It's all the same. You cite. it's it's a fascinating case study, but it really is quite outrageous. They have a twisted sense of morality. All right. President Trump spoke to the NRA made these, you know, he has a way with words. He talked about England and France and how they have strict gun laws. So he said that in, in London right now, he said the hospitals in London look like a military war zone, at least one of them. He says they get stabbing victims, blood everywhere, looks like a war zone. And they have some of the toughest gun control uh, laws on the planet. And yet everybody's stabbing each other in London. They have a higher murder rate uh, than the United States with knives. And France, you know, he talked about Rahmanathan, the terrible tragedy uh, that happened in France major, major terror attack in 2015 and said that people didn't have guns. They couldn't defend themselves. Now, France is very upset. They consider this insensitive, his comments, and yet nobody's responded to him. The point that he's trying to make, and look, you know, I, I have an incredible, incredible amount of sympathy. You know, I don't take these tragedies lightly, as you know, but he's trying to make a very important point, which is that gun control is not the answer. People will find a weapon if they want to kill. And especially ISIS and terrorists, they'll do it with, with, with car rammings if need be, or they'll do it or they'll do it with knives, or they'll get their hands on the guns like what happened in France, despite there being very strict gun laws in place. All right, now Starbucks, this is so bogus if you ask me, Starbucks issues a statement saying, we didn't push out the ADL from our training, we're still going to use them, but now it's a multi-phase, uh, it's a multi-phase training course, and the, we're just going to not use them for the first phase, but we're going to bring them in later. And you know, the ADL has not said a word, I reached out to the ADL, but they didn't want to comment on this, which is interesting. But here's the latest. Starbucks, in the beginning of April, they put out their schedule for this anti-bias special day of training. They're going to close down their stores for a day of anti-bias training. And the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, and I don't agree with everything they say, but they're still Jews and they still stand up and defend us. Now, Starbucks had them on the list. And then there was this outcry and they were called 
super pro-cop, ultra pro-cop, and they were called defenders of the Zionists and defenders of the country that oppresses the Palestinians and tries to colonize Palestine. And the black groups came out against the ADL, and then, boom, Starbucks issues a new schedule for their anti-bias training, and the ADL mysteriously has disappeared from the list. Now, folks, do the math. So Starbucks issues a statement saying, no, 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 you don't understand. We originally were going to just do one day. Now we realize this is long-term. We're going to spend years doing this, and the ADL will eventually be invited back. Now, does anybody believe this bogus, just completely disingenuous explanation? I mean, it's obvious to anybody looking what's happened over here. I know a bunch of you have called, and thank you for that. Maybe that's why they issued their statement, but we got to keep the pressure on. Now, a federal judge has said that Bob Mueller does not have unlimited power to just charge people with whatever crimes he wants that are unrelated to Russia collusion or President Trump. Folks, this is going to blow you away. Paul Manafort has filed in federal court saying Mueller's got to throw out the charges. These charges against me, Bob Mueller has no jurisdiction over some crime allegedly done by Paul Manafort back in like 2012, long before he ever even met President Trump. And involving, you know, Turkey and Ukraine and nothing to do with Russia collusion. What does that have to do with Mueller and Rosenstein? So the federal judge hasn't ruled yet. However, the federal judge lashed out at the lawyer representing Bob Mueller's case, the special counsel. He said, quote, this is amazing. This is a Republican appointee. Of course, you know, we have to take what we can get. You don't really care about Mr. Manafort. You really care about what information Mr. Manafort can give you to lead to Mr. Trump and his eventual prosecution or impeachment. And he said, quote, it's unlikely you're going to persuade me that the special counsel has unfettered power to do whatever he wants to do. So this judge is calling out Mueller. Finally, somebody is and saying, look, you don't care about Manafort one bit. You are just trying to target Trump. This is a witch hunt. You've you walked in here with one goal. You can you can put out 48 indictments, but they're all about the same end game, which is we got to take him down. Trump is a threat to our democracy. He's a threat to the government establishment. He's going to bring down the swamp. We've got to bring him down first. We're the swamp. We've got to bring him down. And this judge called him out. Let's see what happens. Now, how amazing is the Mossad? The, the, I mean, they literally infiltrate Iran. Iran has the deepest, darkest nuclear secrets. They keep this stuff hidden away. Nobody knows about it. And yet the Mossad manages to literally get 100,000 Secret files, documents that are just mind-boggling, blow you away, literally blow people away. That's what they're trying to do. But these prototypes for missiles and detailed descriptions of exactly what they've been trying to develop all these years. And they get the name, they publicize the name of this scientist, Mosen Fakhrizadeh, who was in charge of Project Ahmad and then now is still working for the Iranian government all these years later. And I said to you last week, I asked the question, how is this guy still alive? How has he had not had two people drive up to him in motorcycles dressed in all black, shot rockets at his car and blown him to bits? And the answer, by the way, an, an intelligence expert, a Mossad expert in Israel, has actually discussed this very question that I was wondering about. And he said, are you kidding me? The Israelis, they could take this guy out any time he wants and he knows it. He's just more valuable to them alive than dead. They've actually been getting their secrets from him, from tracking him. That's what's going on. So this guy, he literally, his, he lives at the mercy of the Mossad. I mean, it must be pretty amazing when you think about that. How did this guy get up every morning and eat breakfast? Now, this same intelligence expert, Ronan Bergman, he was talking about, you know, whoever was in charge of security for these documents that they stole, for all this information that the Mossad stole, quote, I'm not jealous of whoever was responsible for the security of that archive. He said that this guy is not going to just be fired. He's going to be fired at. I mean, 
<laughs> They're going to just put him in front of a firing squad for this. It's pretty unbelievable stuff. Now, there was an explosion in Gaza uh, and that it killed six Hamas militants. Militants. This is their armed wing. I mean, it's code word for terrorists. So six Hamas terrorists were killed in an explosion. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Hamas, of course, is blaming Israel. Palestinian media. Not just Israeli, Palestinian media is saying this wasn't Israel. These guys blew themselves up. They were trying to build an explosive device to carry out a terror attack, and they blew themselves up. But Hamas, of course, is blaming Israel. Hamas is saying that these six people, they had some kind of knowledge. They knew security codes or something, some information Israel didn't want them to have, and therefore Israel took them out. Not that we need an excuse. I'm I'm good. If Israel did it, Israel did it. Like, what's the problem? They have every right to kill a t- Hamas terrorists. But uh, again, the Palestinian media is saying that's not even what happened, that these guys actually blew themselves up. So who knows? Now, Israel has dropped out of running for a seat on the UN Security Council. 2019-2020, that's the next two-year two term of the Security Council. And Belgium is one of the countries running. It was supposed to be Belgium and Israel running unopposed. There's two open slots for the for, for the group that Israel is a part of. There's a bunch of groups, but the group that Israel is a part of has two open slots. And this deal was cut 20 years ago. 20 years ago, Germany, Israel had been shut out of everything at the UN. And they finally agreed, Germany and a bunch of countries in Europe and the United States, they brokered a deal that Israel would not run for 20 years. Israel said, well, back out for 20 years. We're not going to run for the Security Council. However... In 2018, you let us run unopposed. This was agreed upon. Now Germany decides to run. Now, is anybody surprised? Angela Merkel, you know what's going on in Germany. This incredible anti-Israel bias here all these years after the Holocaust. It is completely outrageous, reprehensible, egregious what Germany has been doing. And, uh, you know, she's lashed out against Netanyahu. There are a lot of issues last year, diplomatic issues. Uh, The Germans meeting with these pro Palestinian groups, these pro-terror groups, and now you have this. So Israel has said, we're, you know, we're dropping out. They know that they can't win, and I guess it would be embarrassing. It's better to just drop out, but this is unbelievable how Germany just breaks the deal, and now Germany's denying that the deal ever took place, but this deal was widely reported. Everybody knew about this deal. Tom Price, you know, we told you about Health and Human Services Secretary uh, Tom Price, former secretary, and uh, he said last week, he said the Obamacare repeal of the individual mandate, the Republican repeal of the Obamacare mandate. He said in the short term, that is actually going to raise premiums for some people because you're going to have millions of people dropping out. By the way, listener pointed out to me that I misspoke. It actually begins in 2019. This repeal takes effect, not 2018, not this year. Uh, But either way, the point is, he said, it's going to send some premiums up because uh, you're going to have fewer people in the marketplace. So the, 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 the healthy younger people are not going to be basically paying for the sicker and elderly people. Uh, at least there'll be a point, uh, a contingent of them not paying, and that's going to drive up costs for everybody else. Tom Price, you know, he actually wrote an op-ed saying the media completely took what I was saying out of context, twisted my words, and here's where it gets fascinating. Tom Price says they made it seem like I was somehow against the mandate. And by the way, we told you this, against the mandate repeal. We basically told you this was what he meant. And he said the Democrats, like they seized on my words and they said, oh, you see that? Tom Price thinks that the Republicans are are, are hurting the country. He thinks that the mandate repeal was a bad thing. He thinks that we should keep Obamacare in place. That's how they twisted his words. And he said, I never meant that at all. This repeal was absolutely necessary. It was the best thing that could have happened. It just isn't enough. Now, here's what he said. He said, 
You know how many millions of people, some of the lower income people, they were forced to buy health insurance or pay this penalty. The penalty, the vast majority of the people who paid the Obamacare penalty for not having a health care coverage are low income people. You know, so uh, and, and people who middle class or lower people who simply can't afford they're getting totally squeezed. They're the ones who ended up suffering the most. So now we're alleviating them from basically this tax that Obama put uh, on the low and middle income people in this country. Unbelievable stuff. So of course that's a good thing. He says as far as driving up the cost, we tried. We tried everything we could the Republicans to pass a a, a newer version, you know, to to repair Obamacare, basically, to repeal certain parts of it, repair other parts of it. I didn't think it was the greatest plan ever, by the way, personally, but it was still much better than than the current state of Obamacare. So Tom Price says the Democrats all voted against it. We didn't have a fighting chance. They know that Obamacare is crumbling. They know that Obamacare is a disaster. They've admitted it, and yet they refuse to even talk to us, come to the table, because they're a bunch of disingenuous hypocrites. I'm paraphrasing there Tom Price, what I what I think he would say. So, uh, you know, basically what he said in this op-ed piece. But the point is that Tom Price says, yeah, look, we've got to do more, but this is still step one. And now, by the way, you freed a lot of uh, the younger, healthier people to go and find short-term plans and other options that are more beneficial to them instead of forcing them to be part of the marketplace to get all this coverage they don't need. So you can st- basically steal their money away and use it to fund uh, all the other people who are covered uh, by Obamacare. All right, what else is going on here? The uh, illegal immigration, illegal border crossing is up 233%. It's a massive, massive rise in the last month uh, in illegal border crossing. Now, here's the. let me explain why this is. You know, oh, well, President Trump's not doing his job. What's going on here? Why is he not doing better border enforcement? No, here's what this is. You know, some the, the reasons given, by the way, are, are very simple. The reasons are they don't have enough detention space. So people are actually able to get through. They simply, they don't have the manpower they need to nab these people and they can't keep them. And you couple that with the fact that judges are enforcing this nutty Obama policy, catch and release, which is catch these people border, uh, crossing the border illegally and you have to release them in the United States, not even in Mexico. And believe it or not, yeah, this is a law on the books, uh, of course, created by Obama. Trump has been unable legally to overturn this, and you have these activist judges who are enforcing it. So right now, and Congress has done nothing, and, and, and we have no immigration reform, and of course, no wall, as we all know very well. So here's what's going on. President, last year, we told you about this incredible drop, just a, a historic drop in illegal border crossing last year, and now that's being reversed. And here's why that happened. That did not happen because of any actual implementation of laws or or any sort of new policy because Congress refuses to act. That was simply because people were so intimidated. President Trump walked in and he said, we're going to crack down hard. And by the way, he meant it. And he said, listen, we're going to put you in jail. We'll deport you. Who knows what will happen? We'll throw your families out of the country. So people got nervous and a lot of Mexicans and people south of the border said, you know, we're not going to come up. It's actually better for us to stay put. They were so intimidated by President Trump. And that's a great thing. But here's the problem. That's that can only la- intimidation can only last so long. The laws on the books. Trump is handcuffed right now. Congress won't do a thing. These judges are forcing this nutty Obama policy catch and release. I mean, how absurd is that? That that was the official policy of the government. So many, you know, again, whatever the technical rules are, but the point is many people come across the border. We simply cannot do anything about it. And Congress wouldn't uh, wouldn't fund more detention centers. So you you either 
put them somewhere to detain them in a normal detention center, or you're forced to keep them here. If we can't have, find a space to keep them and detain them, we can't just send them back until they go through due process. We're talking about months of uh, investigation and checking into their claims and everything else when they claim for refugee, asylum, all that stuff. They get they get coached by immigration lawyers. It's a terrible situation right now. Basically, Trump is handcuffed. So the reason that it slowed down last year was not so much our ability to enforce the law because, like I said, the whole thing's just totally haywire right now. It's rather because they were so scared of President Trump and th that's running out now. That fear factor once they're seeing that, hey, wait a second, the American laws, immigration laws are so weak and so pathetic and Obama was so, uh, you know, open borders radical uh, in favor of just allowing anybody who wants to just come into this country, we don't care what you do, that, 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 that's finally starting to kick back in. So that's the explanation of that and we'll keep an eye on all of that. Now, uh, my good friend reminded me, you know, uh, this whole big thing about Trump dictating a letter to his doctor. Hillary did the same thing. You know, remember during the campaign when Hillary, she probably did have real health issues. She had fainted and, and uh, you know, she had these coughing fits, all sorts of things that the mainstream media completely ignored, gave her a pass. You know, they go nuts. Uh, every time President Trump stubs his toe, they make it sound like you know he needs to be hospitalized. And yet Hillary, there were so many issues seemingly with her health that were completely unreported. You know, she had that bad of pneumonia. So she issued a, a doctor's letter. You know who wrote that doctor's letter? Come on. So, you know, the, the again, the, the, the complete double standard. And I want to thank my good friend who listens to the show for reminding me of that. Now, somebody asked me, what's the legal argument to keep DACA? DACA was an Obama executive order. Why why can't Trump rescind an executive order? The, 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 there was a recent ruling by a federal judge. It's going to go to the Supreme Court, I'm sure. But right now, it's just going through this slow, murky process in the courts. Why can't Trump just rescind an executive order? He is the commander-in-chief, after all. He is the chief executive of our country, just like Obama was when he issued the order. And the answer is, look, you're right. I mean, I'm not going to sit here defending this judge. This guy is clearly, you know, agenda driven and he wants to keep DACA in place and he doesn't care about upholding the law. However, his technical argument, if you want to know, is that you can't just rescind what the previous president did. You actually need a good reason. So technically, he's saying what the executive order that Obama issued is the law of the land right now. That's the law. And you can't just walk in if you wanted to undo right now. Every single, just repeal every executive order that's ever been passed by any president. It would, you know, potentially cause mayhem in this country, cause some chaos, because that is the law, and you can't just snap your fingers and change the law. The problem here is Trump has an excellent reason. DACA acted like a super power magnet to attract millions new illegals here because they come here, bring a child, and boom, they're set for life. It's a lottery ticket. They get to stay here forever as long as they have a kid. So... That's you know where we're at right now, but somehow the judge felt that that's not a legitimate argument. Now, that's absurd, but again, these judges have a ton of power, and they have an agenda. And unfortunately, there's very little we can do about it until these things go to the Supreme Court. Now, uh, a lot of you ask me, why can't Trump just sit with Mueller and just plead the fifth and just say he doesn't know, he doesn't recall, and just, you know, play dumb? And the answer is, you know, number one, if they suspect that he's taking advantage and they suspect that he's refusing to answer questions, they actually could hold him in, con in contempt. I know that sounds nuts to hold the president in contempt, but I wouldn't. Nothing would surprise me at this point with these courts. 
and with Muller, but, you know, furthermore, it would look really bad, the optics. You know, if he just goes, gets up there and pleads the fifth, the fifth is there to protect you. You have the right to remain silent to protect against federal prosecution or against any sort of criminal prosecution. So how would that look exactly if Trump just goes there and pleads the fifth? It basically is looked at as an admission of guilt. Now, you're technically right. He doesn't deserve, Mueller doesn't deserve answers from Trump because this whole thing, you know, there, 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 there's no evidence. I mean, this whole thing right now is, you know, just completely, completely just just fabricated and and there is no evidence to suggest any sort of Russia collusion. However, at the same time, you've got to be concerned about optics. Now, not to mention Trump will never do that. You know, he has too much pride. He would never just plead the fifth. He wants to tell the truth. He wants to show that he has nothing to hide. He wants the truth to finally go out. Now, yeah, sometimes that could backfire, but Trump doesn't care, as we've learned many times. You know, he tells it like it is. He's not interested in, you know, worrying about the consequences and, you know, saying the thing that's politically astute. Uh, somebody asked me the following, Emmanuel Macron, we were all excited because he came to the White House, uh, talking about how defending the Iranian nuclear, talking about how he's going to stick with it. This is a good deal. There's no plan B. And then he meets with President Trump and then suddenly has a change of heart. His tone completely changes. And he says, we've got to renegotiate this deal in light of the Israeli intelligence. We certainly have a good idea of what changed his mind. But then the following day, somebody said, come on, he's still not a fan of Trump. The following day, he went to Congress and he bashed President Trump. And folks, I never meant to say, you're right, Macron, I don't like Macron at all. Macron is a socialist. Macron is not in favor of our of our country, of America. He's, he's, he's a real French person, which means that he hates the United States and he hates Western civilization. Well, at least this, this side of, of the Atlantic Ocean. And I didn't mean to suggest that Macron suddenly and Trump are good friends. They're not. That's exactly my point, you know, and I don't care what he says in Congress. My point was that despite the fact that he has no respect for President Trump, and he's made that clear again and again, still Trump was able to convince him because that's how persuasive Trump is because Trump knows how to make an argument and how to get, get his way. So that that's what I was marveling at was that the way Trump basically manhandled Macron and made Macron and Angela Merkel both look pretty silly. Uh, on the Iran deal, so and on a lot of things, by the way. So, uh, yeah, I never meant to suggest that Macron is somehow a friend of President Trump. All right, that's going to do it for today. We thank you all for joining us, and we will see you next time.